Bearcat Bounce Podcast back at it again. Aaron Smith, how are we? How are we, buddy? Doing well, man. Doing well. You know, the we had the Christmas cheer coming in two weeks ago. We had the the New Year's cheer coming in this past one. Uh, shall we say maybe national championship cheer? I mean, I I know you said you probably won't be watching too much of it, but the national championship is probably one of the seven different sporting events each each year that I want to make sure that I am watching no matter what. I. Personally, I you I, don't feel that same way. No, I got, I got a little, I got a little fatigue. It's the same teams every single year. And when you call about, or when, when people talk about, you know, calling for the college football playoff to be expanded, this is what they're talking about. It's kind of like, you know, LeBron James was winning MVP, 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 MVP. Well, there, there was voter fatigue. People got tired of it. So then you saw Derek Rose. Then you saw, you know, you, you saw some different people start winning that award. Um, same thing with Michael Jordan and then Steve Nash starting to get that award. I mean, Steve Nash, two years in a row. Come on now. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it just becomes fatigue. So, yeah, I got a little bit of fatigue for Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, a little bit over it. So I don't want the college football playoff, as many people talked about, to get the ratings click from the cable box here. So, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be playing video games and not wow. the college football playoff. I'm, see, I'm more on the theatric side of it. I enjoy just the theatrics surrounding it. I enjoy, yeah, watching all the potential NFL players on the field. You know, not necessarily the names on the chest. We're more reruns, though. It's it's the same. I, thing. I agree. I, yes, I understand your side of that. But the other part of my favorite feeling with all these national championships and you know, NBA Finals and MLB World Series, all these different things, is at the end of it. You go to the the talking heads and the media sorts, and they talk about next year. They start looking at the top five teams, the top ten teams of next season. That's what I love the most. You know, when you're able to finish off and immediately you rinse that and you go into the next season in the midst of celebrating the current champion as well. And that means tonight, very possibly, we could have a mention of the Cincinnati Bearcats at the very end of the night after a new national champion is crowned. Are they going to be maybe mentioning, Hey, the Bearcats bringing back a Desmond Ritter in the talks of that top 10 top five, even, you know, at least around there talks for next season. And you, we saw it two, four, seven sports comes out with their top 10 teams with top 25 and sitting there at number 10 is the Bearcats. And a lot of that has to do with the decision that was made way before the video was released. And Pete Dammel came in on Twitter to mention it, but the mention of Desmond Ritter coming back. I know that during the happy hour, you guys touched on this quite a lot and I'm sure that there was jubilation and glee, but as the entire weekend comes to an end, where are you at on this? Are you, thinking this is maybe one of the biggest news stories for Cincinnati football ever, having Desmond Ritter reject the option to go to the NFL draft and come back for his senior season, highly glorified and potentially a Heisman talk for the entire season. I don't think it's the biggest story in Cincinnati's history ever. I think it's the best feel-good story in Cincinnati's history ever. I I think Brian Kelly leaving Cincinnati prior to (laughs) – the uh, the bowl game against the Gators and jetting for Notre Dame and apparently greener pastures. Uh, I think that was a bigger story, uh, but I think this is certainly the best feel-good story 
that we've had in quite some time. I, I was kind of surprised. Uh, obviously, the writing was on the wall. As you talked about, we, we did uh, bring it up on the happy hour. The writing was kind of on the wall when you saw Ben Bryant up to head to Eastern Michigan. So uh, for Desmond Ritter coming back, I'm excited to see it. Excited to see what this uh, offense can look like with a final senior senior season uh, <laughs> under one Desmond Ritter. Uh, you know, hopefully it looks a little bit more normal uh, with fans in the stands and, uh, you know, some not having uh, the out-of-conference teams opt out and what have you. Uh, so I'm still very high on that actually being a thing that happens because if we lose that out-of-conference schedule, uh, the validity, there's going to be arguments again for what we did and who we beat. And so, you know, anything that keeps this schedule intact, I'm all for. Uh, and the longer that we can keep this team intact, obviously, uh, as we've lost some pieces and we've lost, you know, Marcus Freeman as our de defensive coordinator, um, things are going to look a little bit different, but the more pieces we keep, the, the more that we'll see hopefully the same results. You know, let's touch on that. You know, you mentioned obviously Desmond Ritter coming back is not the only player to make that decision to make that decision in a, in a big way for a lot of people to, to now look at and, and see, Hey, wow, this is, a lot of players not only opting back in, but, you know, some high-name juniors, MyJ Sanders, obviously the the counterpart on the defensive side. That's really the headliner to be coming back next season. But you look at it, Kobe Bryant mentioned earlier, you had Jordan Jones as a wide receiver. Then you go Darian Beavers, Joel DeBlanco, Des Ritter, and MyJ Sanders. And then Curtis Brooks, and as recent as today, Marcus Brown all opting back in. You go from a defense that was projected to lose up to nine starters. Aaron, nine starters potentially lost off of this defense. Now all of a sudden, you're looking at maybe only four seniors so four starters leaving off of this black hat defense that is going to go down in history as one of the best in program history if not the best yeah it's uh again you know it's encouraging and I, I think the more that you can bring guys back and run it back um you know we we certainly saw that there were there were some pieces missing in that bowl game uh the peach bowl against georgia and we saw we, we touched on this last week uh, we saw guys step up to the plate and be next man up um so I think we're going to see more of that, especially with an offseason under their belt and kind of some different expectations as opposed to the expectations that were kind of thrust on players, uh, even last minute, as Sauce was not even on any type of injury report or anything like that right. prior to walkthroughs so, or uh, um, warm-ups. So I, I don't know. I think I think you'll see uh, Fickle clearly has some, some guys in mind to fill some spots, as we've seen with uh, Tunsil coming in. Or Tuns mm -hmm. Tunstall. Uh, I kind of <laughs> don't don't want to get him mixed up with Larry Tunstall. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how fickle they're not related. <laughs> they're they're not related, and I don't think that Tunstall is going to be posting any crazy pictures on Twitter anytime soon, At like least his, not on like draft day. <laughs> like young Laramie did. But yeah, no, I, we mentioned all these returns, but we also touched on this a little bit before coming on. And it's it is the Marcus Freeman talk, you know, and, and I know you guys were you, you kind of vented the crowd and were were able to get get through the uh, through the pains together as a, as a team and as a unity. I wasn't able to. I was in my feelings heavily this entire weekend. Shocker. I uh, I was one that uh, yeah, thank you. I was one that <laughs> honestly got uh, got touched by the by the Marcus Freeman bug. That he, I, I mean, he's just he is a great person. He is one of the coaches that will come up and just talk to you about anything. He is someone that is going to have a very bright future, but he leaves, and now it's it's not like the cupboard is at all bare. But someone does need to step in 
and someone does need to lead this defense. And you you were touching on, I know who who I have up there as as one of my favorite options for it. But you were touching on you want someone with with loads of experience that can come in and lead a high level defense right off the bat. I do, and I think that's where you see uh, a name like Chris Ash come to play. Um, I think he might be potentially like maybe the biggest name out there that's being mentioned as a, a potential refill in this spot, if you will, um, as opposed to somebody like Mickens coming in as a first-time defensive coordinator. Um, I don't know. I just – at least it's got to be somebody who's at least familiar with either Coach Fickle himself um, right. or, or have – you know, if they, if they haven't been worked under Fickle and he hasn't seen like kind of some things that they do, um, at least have some type of resume to back up the fact that they're coming into – what's not just like a, a fill in position anymore. You know, I mean, when you, when you had Tuberville here, you had some guys who maybe were suspect in some of their roles, but you know, here you have a team that you talked about it before coming in at potentially as high as a top 10 team, maybe, maybe even higher. Um, if we, if we flirt with 10, you know, who's not to say that we don't end up at, at nine and eight, depending on some injuries or th- some walkaways that you could have uh, with Ohio state, Alabama, the transfer portal, et cetera. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's there's huge implications for this program next season uh, for anybody who takes a job. Um, I'm much in the the camp of people who, if it's a guy coming in and trying to use this as a stepping stone job to get to a head coach job, that's fine. This is going to be a very big year for Cincinnati football, and I'm excited to see what the hire is because I don't think Luke Fickle just hires anybody. You know, I think the biggest thing is you you look at the. The departures, obviously, you know, you have a, a, a key piece, the, I call him the OG of the hometown heroes in Jarrell White. And his loss is going to be monstrous because, of course, he just did everything. But he is, he is replaced by a Ty Van Fossen that the staff has just been very high on. And obviously, Ty Van Fossen, if, if he has his arms wrapped around you, you will be tackled and you will be tackled pretty violently. So I, he is going to be able to fill in somewhat seamlessly. But then in the safety position, the two backstops and James Wiggins and Derek Forrest. The thing about Derek Forrest, I think, is that Marcus Freeman was able to go to that 3-3-5 defense because he kind of knew that no matter what, no one was going to get past Derek Forrest. If he's not going to have any missed tackles, he's not going to let let a, a potential runner go past him. Now you bring in a Brian Cook and Javon Hicks. Now, both of them, obviously, in their own right, Cook looked fantastic in the Georgia game. Hicks was a turnover machine and an all-conference player when he was able to fill in for James Wiggins. But I think the next D coordinator is going to have to be able to maybe not rely so much on on the single coverage. Yes, next year you can do the single coverage because you have lockdown cornerbacks. But kind of putting the safeties on an island as well, their first year starting together without a security blanket like a James Wiggins or a Derek Forrest back there, I think it would be a little bit more difficult to try and just do the same exact type of thing that they did the past few years with Marcus Freeman because you don't have a Derek Forrest back there to negate any runner that gets to that third level. So as we talk about potential candidates, I know – I know you're in the camp of potentially hiring somebody in on the other side of that coin. So who, who's your guy, Brent? <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I have family ties to 
none only Mr. Brian Mason. I think that he has done a fantastic job as special teams coordinator. He has been, of course, coaching up the snipers. He has been with the special teams. I think you kind of put him in, an, in, in a main role with them. I don't think give him the job right away, but tell him he is in waiting. And I do like the thought of bringing back a Mike Mickens. And I think that that's kind of just kind of plays into the fact of a, of a situation where Mickens is just completely, you know, he knows this personnel. He knows everyone on the team. He knows what the, their positives, their negatives. He knows what makes them go and what the, kind of their struggles are that you can cover that. So I think a, a Mickens with the ability to have Brian Mason kind of step up in his role as well. And then, of course, it's going to kind of be Luke Fickle really taking on a bigger role as not only head coach, but more of a, a play caller, if you will, than what he was allowing Marcus Freeman to do with free reign. So I, I'm in the camp of bringing back a Mike Mickens because I think Mickens is a great recruiter as well. I think, you know, Marcus Freeman, for however great he was schematically and, and wizardly, I think it was his recruiting that kind of took it next level for me. I mean, you talk to all these recruits and they all just mentioned their connection with Marcus Freeman and how, you know, how they're boys, you know, my, my boy, Marcus, my boy free, you know, it's, it's, you, you've got to kind of still keep that same connection going because I think Marcus Freeman was kind of just that, that, that main guy when it came to bringing in these higher level players and telling them, you know, the be different things of that sort. So yes, very sad that Marcus is gone, but I, I think if you do bring back a Mickens, yes, the first year thing, I get that, but kind of the familiarity and the ability to kind of continue what is already gone without even changing too many things schematically. I think that would be a, an, an okay hire in my eyes with the ability to be a lot of, a lot of upward momentum. So I understand Mickens, but are there any other names that you think could be potential dark horses going forward with this defensive coordinator position? I, you know, I kind of more just see it as I, I keep on going back to recruiting because I, I think that that has been the, the key thing that has gotten this, this machine rolling in the right direction has been the ability to bring in recruits with the high level play that they've been able to have. So I, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of names floating out there with, you know, professional ties and, and NFL ties and things of that sort. I, I don't think you go that direction because I just don't think you can bring them in and have them kind of be that cornerstone after, you know, a, a coach like Freeman leaves. And he was kind of the a big key to a lot of these players deciding to become a Bearcat. And now all of a sudden you're going to replace them with more of just a, a, a complete, like kind of like a Tenuta, you know, where it's, it's more hands off on the recruiting side. But, but, you know, you're, you're going to really focus on the defense. I think you need someone that can be strong recruiting-wise while also bringing his own approach on the defense but not messing things up too much to the point where all of a sudden you're, you're seeing players that know what they're supposed to do for the past four, you know, three or four or five years, and all of a sudden they're, they're being told to do something different. So I do see other names floating out there. But I think it's more about the familiarity and just the ability to also recruit is most most pinnacle and most important at this point. Well, and you certainly are going to continue to have Luke Fickle have his fingerprints all over this defense. You know, right. you've already kind of alluded to that. So I'm excited to see who ends up in here and see what their own personal spin is on both the recruiting aspect of it and what they actually do with the defense itself. Um, so it, it's just, you know, I know stagnancy can become a little bit repetitive and, and you know, I think it's going to be exciting to see how the guys respond to a new voice. 
speaking of a new voice, because obviously this this defensive coordinator thing will go on much, much longer than just, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be one that just happens tomorrow or something along those lines. And I'm sure Chad will, it will be all over it because that is Chad's specialty. It is the, the I, don't, I don't think it takes long. Well, I, right. But I don't think it'll be like, hey, <clears throat> this came out of nowhere. It's happening tomorrow. You know what I mean? I like no. I, but the thing, I, the thing I think is important to note is the team was was arrived back on campus today. Or the, right. So they're going to want whoever this is to get here as soon as possible. I, I mean that you know you're going to want to talk to people and bring people in for a visit if you can and and do a formal interview process. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, most of these situations, if you looked at them, mm-hmm. they happen within a week, a week to ten days. Um, right. Now it might take a little bit longer for UC to make something official as we've seen, because they have to go through HR and uh, a much longer process than everybody else who shockingly Notre Dame announced Mike Mickens like 30 seconds after the story broke nationally, they, they, yeah. they made it public. Like I, that blew me away. Cause usually it doesn't happen that fast, but um, I don't think it'll be Mickens or Freeman. Or, or Freeman I mean, um, Mickens, they did too. It was, it was pretty quick. Mickens was once. quick. Yeah. Um, but you know, while I don't think it's going to be early this week, uh, I won't be surprised if, if by this time next week or early next week, we know what direction they're going. That would be my, uh, guess, my guess read on the situation, just how things have played out in the past. Do you think, uh, okay. So when it comes to, Position coaches leaving. Obviously, we did see Dan Enos has left. He's heading to Maryland. And and obviously, there is a, a bright, brazen replacement that is just more obvious than Aaron being back inside of the laundry room is <laughs> for his replacement, Mike Daniel. So uh, is, is it more of a just whichever coach fills a slot? Or do you think position coaches kind of you can wait a little bit longer, but defensive coordinators – Offensive coordinators, you need those guys in pretty quickly. Well, it's much more important for a coordinator because they're setting the tone for everybody. Like that, yeah. the, what they want to do impacts how everybody else operates. A running right. back coach is, is beholden to what the offensive coordinator wants to do. Yeah. So, I mean, you can play that out for a little bit. I know Daniels was involved the last time around that they were looking for a running back coach. But mm-hmm. as I said on the board, like this is a different job now. Like it or not, it is. last year they were, you know, a, a, a top 25 team that right. was returning a lot that looked like it was on an upward trajectory. Now you're talking about a top 10 team that's that's trying to bang in the door of the college football playoff. Like that's – there's going to be a lot of people trying to get hired at the University of Cincinnati. I, yeah. I will put it that way. Yeah, that it- – I think I just, you know, you see Daniels and you just immediately think, you know, he's, he's doing a heck of a job recruiting no matter what he's doing. He's recruiting at all times. So that, that, that at least fills whatever void that leaves with Freeman leaving. He's kind of has that connection with a lot of the local talent high school wise uh, around the state of Cincinnati, but I don't know. I kind of feel like with, with the coaches that are already locked in on the defensive side position coaches, that is, I feel like it's, it does not need to be a decision that's made, you know, tomorrow or, or, you know, as quickly as possible type thing. I think it's one where they can sit back and monitor and, and break down a little bit more. And I agree with you guys are saying 
during the Friday happy hour. This is like Fick, Fick has definitely had his short list of guys that potentially can replace free if Freeman does decide to leave. And so I think all of them have been getting a call and it'll be interesting to see within the next couple of days, which names start to really separate themselves the more that we hear and more tea leaves that we read. I can't wait. Great. I'm excited. It's, it's like a new Christmas present. It really is. It really is. But, you know, with, with that now in touch, we, with the national title, Tonight, we already kind of touched on that. You know, we all know Alabama is going to roll tight and win by, you know, three, four touchdowns, just like my bet said. So, you know, we're going to go ahead and throw that to the wayside and kind of think of, uh, of the Bearcats, obviously. What do you guys think as the Bearcats national title game between the 2009 Cincinnati Bearcats and the 2020 Cincinnati Bearcats? That is the matchup. That is the game. Put them on a neutral field. We are not going to have the home home field advantage of Nippert Stadium or the home field advantage of, of Paul Brown. It's a neutral site. Just just straight up. Final score. Go. Well, if you're looking at averages, because I, I did a little bit of research here. Wow, research. I did a little bit of research. Uh, Gosh. The offense was a little better under Tony Pike. And yes. Zach Claris. And, and Zach Claris, yes. He, he did <laughs> sub in a little bit. And Isaiah Pede, and Marty Gilliard, and Armand Benz, and DJ Woods. I, yes. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Travis didn't play. He, he didn't play a whole lot, but he was on the team. I, well, it, the funny story is, I, I, saw, I saw young Travis Kelsey walking down the um, – walking down Bourbon Street. I was down there in New Orleans. Shocker. And uh, – Safe to say, Travis Kelsey was acting like he did not have a game coming up in a couple of days. That's he. Most of, most of most of the team was acting like that on Bourbon Street that night. But but there was none bigger than Travis Kelsey. We we, <laughs> we both we both because I I think I think he was blown away that I knew who he was because I was a uh, I was one of those program studiers where I just knew everyone on the team. I had a buddy on the team and Alex Hoffman as well. So you know when I said Travis, what's up, man? He just got blown away because I can cover. He's he's well, he's not the Tony Pike and the Marty Gilliard at that point. He's he's just Travis Kelsey, a what third string, fourth string tight end, really, if you think about it, and the fifth string quarterback. So, um, it was really cool seeing him on Bourbon Street, though. But it definitely looked like he was not going to be having too much of an impact against Brandon Spikes in the Florida defense in a couple of days. So, that's my story on him. But continue, Aaron. So, yeah, I think, uh, again, if you're looking at averages. Offense is going to put up three touchdowns. Uh, Are they? That's that's what the averages look like. That said, this is also the uh, the the twenty twenty defense is the best defense of this. Uh, it's certainly better than the 09 defense, as that defense was giving up one point two, versus our defense that just gave up point seven. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a relatively low score game if those two teams did play in this fantasy world that you've developed here for the state of Cincinnati championship. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, I think somebody wins by a field goal. Somebody. I think somebody wins by a field goal. And if I'm looking at field goals, Jake Rogers had some, some quite a leg. You're going I, 2009. I think I'm going 2009. 
I'm going 2020 by 10 to 14 points. Still not, I mean, four points versus three. No, you 10 to me. 14 points. I know, I'm saying I, I gave it a three point win. You gave it a four point win. So you also. No, no he's no, saying no. 10 points to 14. Oh, 10 points. to 14 spread? Yeah. Goodness. The 2020 defense was significantly better than the 2009 defense. And that's the difference in this game. Uh, Tony Pike, as much as I love Tony Pike, was prone to throwing a turnover here and there. This secondary elite at turning people over. I think the 2020 offense gets more opportunities to put points on the board. Uh, obviously the, the 2009 offense is, is better than the, the 2020 offense, but I don't think it's a significant difference, not nearly as significant as the 2009 defense against the 2020 defense. It's um, certainly different styles. I mean, you have a pocket passer as opposed to when yeah. get the ball and run unless Calaris was in. I, I just, I think over 60 minutes, I think, I think the, the 2020 team is, about a touchdown better per half than the 2019. The difference, the difference being so much more depth on the 2020 team than you had in 2009. Because that 2009 team, the the margin was paper thin. I mean, I'll give you that. I mean, there was not much behind the 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 main guys, and I think 2020 would wear them out at the end of both halves. I, I think it would just be a an advantage to that to that 2020 team. Uh, special teams is interesting. Is, is the interesting kind of differentiator to me in in, in breaking those down. Um, Huber was gone in 09, right? Yeah, Pat O'Donnell. Yeah, he was. Yeah, was Pat O'Donnell was the punter. Pat was very good. Has had a very good NFL career. That's right. about a wash. Rogers and and Cole Smith, uh, I'd probably take Rogers, and then you have Marty returning kicks. So that's where true, it could yeah. get that's where it could get tricky. Is that 2009 team could be explosive in special teams? Where he had three. I think the 2020. Yeah, I think the 2020 team special teams were really good, but they definitely weren't as splashy as as 2009. But I think ultimately this Cincinnati defense finds a way 2020 finds a way to slow down the 2009 team just enough. And they pull away something like 27, 17, maybe 31, 21, something like that. I just think it's a more complete team. 2020. Yeah. That's where I'm at too. Um, I mean, you look at the scores down the stretch in 2009, and they gave yes, up a lot of points, man. These teams, yeah, these teams are solid that they were playing. Uh, you know, UConn is not the UConn of of, of not the two the 2020 national champion UConn that we're talking about. This is the UConn that was pretty solid back in the day. This is a, a you know an NFL running back and and good pieces I mean, around him. Hey, UConn was undefeated in 2020. Was Orlovsky still there? I'm telling you, they were the they were the national champions this year, Chad. I don't know, did I did I? I mean, I think I made that pretty loud and clear. But yes, it was uh, it was not Dan Orlovsky. It was Zach Frazier was the quarterback for UConn. But you you look at their team. Obviously, it's it's, it's still UConn. They Bearcats won that forty seven to 45. 45 points, man. 
Then West Virginia, 24 to 21. Then Illinois, 49 to 36. Then, of course, the, the, the famous game against Pitt. And, and that's an Illinois team, bear in mind, that won three games. And you, and you give up 36 points in that game. And then, of course, the Pitt game, 45-44. And then you let up 51 points to the Florida Gators, who you could argue was, an NFL was the team. best. Yeah, you could argue was the best team in, in college football that, that year. But still, you are giving up boatloads of points. Well, here's a question for you. Is Brian Kelly coaching the 09 team or is Jeff Quinn coaching the 09 team? Brian we'll, Kelly. We'll, we'll give him Brian Kelly. <laughs> that that would be a fascinating chess match between Brian Kelly and Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman. Just the the X's and O's back and forth between those guys. But I don't know. I take a step back and I just kind of look at how, as Chad said, just complete this 2020 team was with the ability to leave those corners out on an island to tell the corners, Hey, you know, sauce, you got to lock down Armand Benz or sauce. You're, you're lined up against Marty Gilliard on this position. It, it seems like it's going to be kind of a, an opportunity for them to really lock in and take control defensively. And I'm, I'm on Chad's side completely. I think 2020 wins that pretty easily. I think you saw in that Florida game, what it was like, when you had just a high-powered offense with with SEC speed, SEC speed on defense. And then we saw this team going up against Georgia kind of matched up with that SEC strength and that SEC speed. I think that you kind of kind of just based – I know the whole coaching situation is going on in that Florida game for that 2019, but I just think you just look at it top to bottom. You've got to side with 2020. I, I, I'd probably go that 10 to 14 range. I'd say if the spread was sitting there at nine and a half, I'm I'd be taking the the 2020 Bearcats. For me, it was just about lining up Tony Pike next to Dez, lining up Pede next to Dokes, lining up the wide receivers one by one. Uh, yeah, but you're doing it wrong. I understand. I know the defense is really, really good. And you, I no, get what it. I'm what the I'm def- saying is you don't line up Tony Pike next to Dez, you line up Tony Pike next to the 2020 defense. I was and you line up Dez next to the 2009 defense. I'm always about putting points on the board. You know that. We we uh, okay, but we, what, <laughs> that then you're then you're missing the point. If you're about putting points on the board, you do it against the 2009 defense. That's that's the team that gives up points. Everybody except for Florida, and Florida, we all we already know had Tim Tebow and Jesus on his side, and a murderer. Yeah, I was about to say that, and a, and a very, very bad guy. Well, a couple of really bad guys, actually, yeah. if, you, if you take a look no, back at that roster. I, I'm just saying, if you're looking at it as points are the ultimate decider in how the game plays out, you pick the team going against the worst defense. I get Because it. that's where the points are going to come from, is, is the team that's playing against the worst defense. I'm about parity here. Just about parity. Well, what's that have to do with anything? I knew you guys were going to pick 2020 anyway, so somebody had to take 2009. <laughs> okay, okay, but 2009's defense don't don't knock them. You know, it's oh, the, I, how, no one's knocking 2009's. Well, no, well, no, I know, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, you it was good, got some good players on that side. It wasn't 2020 defense. We know that. I'm not arguing that. Even as I said, right. 2009. I mean, it's just you know, Dominique Battle was was a 
good quarterback. He was a he was taking, a very good player. You taking but, battle or sauce? But I'm taking to do, sauce. To do it Aaron's way. Right, right. To, to do, do it the Aaron's way. way. I mean, like, like I guess the only kind of comparable one. Where are you, you taking would, J.K. Schaefer? Or are you taking Jarrell White? I'm taking Jarrell White. I, but but it would be more Jordan Blanco versus J.K. Schaefer, right? Yeah, because that's middle linebacker versus middle linebacker, and then it'd be like that, that's that's easy for J.K. It'd be like yeah, it'd be like Andre Revels, Revels. or or Jarrell. Revels is pretty good, but Jarrell just made stuff happen. But then, are you taking like Derek Wolf was on that team? Are you taking Derek Wolf or are you taking Majay? Different players, certainly. Derek, Derek Wolf was inside, so it would be Wolf, more Wolf, Wolf or or Marcus Brooks Brown. Or Brooks, Brown. Yeah. Well, how about this one, Walter Stewart or Maj Sanders? Maj. Ooh, duh, I don't. Mm. Walt That's was, a good one. Walt was trending in that same direction. I forgot right, DJ being, Woods. <laughs> I forgot DJ Woods was on that team. <laughs> And and Ben Gadouli. Ben Gadouli was a beast for a little bit, man. Oof. Ricardo Matthews was on that team. Yep. I mean, I was... mean Alex, Alex Daniels was a player that I thought was going to have a shot in the NFL. He he didn't really translate too much. I mean, John Hughes played in the NFL. Daniels was a little bit of a hothead. Oh, yeah. You could tell that on Bourbon Street, no doubt. Jason Kelsey <laughs> was also on that team. Yes. He was – that was his one year at center, and then the next year he moved to guard uh, his senior year with uh, Butch. And you, and you even kind of have have a Dan Giordano kind of played like Ethan Tucky a little bit. I I mean, up and down. Okay. It's, how, about, how about this? How about this? Ready. How many players from the 2009 team do you think were first or second team all-conference? Defensively. Not much. Defensively. Not much. I don't know if there was anybody defensively. I'd say one J JK and Aaron Webster. Aaron Webster, first team Big East. Ricardo Matthews, second team, all Big East. That was it. Wow. Offense. <laughs> Hillier, Jurek, Pike, Benz, Kelsey, Hoffman, Lincolnbach, Gadouli. Not too bad. The interesting, the interesting argument there would be O-line because, boy, that's – I mean, you had four all-conference performers on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Jurek, Kelsey, Hoffman, Lincolnbach. Yeah, going up against the the potential that a uh, defense would have, of course, which is I, – I, I mean, th- this defense, though, 2020, it comes down to, okay, when it comes to stopping 18, right? When it comes to being being the one that will, uh, you kind of saw Georgia do that against against the Bearcats' offense in the second half, when the Bearcats looked like they were they were cruising. Yes, yes, and a lot of offenses can cruise at the right times, but when you have a defense that can really clamp down and, and come up with stops, I mean, we're going to talk about basketball in a little bit, something that they couldn't do against Wichita State, but that's a completely different topic. But this right here is a defense in 2020 that can come up with those stops down the stretch when you need them. I mean, yes, that 2009 offense obviously could go up and down the field against pretty much anyone not named the Florida Gators, but it's it's just coming up with stops and then letting the offense figure it out. I, I, I constantly just see myself going back to this 2020 team and seeing, you know, they were just loaded with talent 
loaded with with future NFL players like this 2009 team was. But I just I don't know. And Des is a gamer. I know Tony Pike is Tony Pike, and and obviously a big big friend of Chad's and big friend of uh, of the site. But I I don't know. Tony Pike is is a is great, but I don't think he's quite the gamer like Desmond Ritter is. Like I, said, I disagree there. Different styles. Tony, Tony won some pretty big games. Oh, yes, he did. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I and I, I completely mean, agree what, with that. What both of them had in common is a large portion of the fan base wanted both of them replaced by their backup. Yes. Zing. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. here's here's what I like to say. So Tony Pike was was a quarterback where. Every time that he let go of the ball, I think I've said this on the pod before. Every time he let go of the ball, I felt confident that the camera was going to pan to the receiver he was throwing to, and it was going to be a completion. I I did not feel that this year until the the year wore on, and Dez's confidence was up to the level that it was at the end of the season. Then I started to feel like okay, I'm, I'm starting to get where there where when he's throwing the ball, I feel confident that it's going to be a completion. But with Tony, I I felt it almost every single pass. So I agree with you there. He, hey, he, he had some big time games. Hey, Chad, is there a way that you can uh, download the 2009 NCAA roster and face it against the 2020 NCAA roster on uh, NCAA football 2014 on the PlayStation 2? <laughs> uh, I'm sure you probably could. I'd just be curious to see what the simulation would be like. It'd be fun. It would be. It would be I, fun. I just... I think that defense gets more stops than the 2009 defense and the team that gets more stops wins. Thank you. Agreed. Agreed. So, so I guess the next question is this, when, when we are having the same conversation next year at this time, or maybe next year in a couple days at this time, are we saying 2021 beats both of them? If we're in a national championship, I think that that goes without being said. Yes, very clearly. I think what it would take is, even if it's not in the national championship, I think if you have an undefeated season with a bowl victory, I think you have to immediately just, just on paper say yes. But when you break it down, I don't know. I think I think it'll be still some things to tell. Because you obviously saw how huge James Hudson was for the offensive line. So I think still, though, I don't know. I think 2021 has a chance. And, and those safeties were just truly phenomenal for the defense this year. But I'm not worried know. about safety. The eternal optimist Brent Young strikes again. <laughs> I'm, not wor- I'm not worried about safety. Yeah. The only thing that worries me about safety was a couple of times, a couple of years ago, you saw the ability, like, like the Houston game, and uh, a couple other games where where teams were able to beat you deep, you know, uh, it, it kind of happened a little bit against Georgia. It just seemed like it that didn't happen when you had Wiggins and Forrest back there. I feel like they kind of had that pretty locked down. You weren't getting behind them no matter what. I think you saw some deep balls go against Javon Hicks at times. Yeah, but throughout. It was, it was just, I mean, he's two years older now. Yes, I two years so more I experienced. Agree. I completely agree. and I, I I love the physicality of Forrest and he's one of my favorite dudes in UC football history, right? Uh, but but Brian Cook, you stay hit, like yeah, 
he hits people and they stay hit. Like, even, ouchie. Even Georgia. Ouchie. Yeah. When he chopped down that monster of a tight end, it was like, oh. Oh. He got up. He got up too. He was he was just ready to, to let it be known. He took him down. I, and that big dude was like, I ain't nobody else hit me like that before. Ain't nobody else chopped me down like a redwood in the forest. Well, you know what you know what it reminded me of, Chad, was was earlier in the season. Uh I believe it was you who asked it, or or, or someone asked it after a practice. It was saying, Oh, look, there's there's Cam Jones, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 Forrest was Forrest like, nah, said, I'm good. Yeah. Who's who's gonna go at Cam Jones? And and immediately Forrest was like, I think Cook would be the only guy who would. And Cook was like, You're right. <laughs> and that's kind like, of exactly what he did. He's terrifying. He's terrifying. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's so, the predator walking out of the woods, and you're like, ah. Yes, yes, he is. I agree. I but you can't just Simply say yes. I feel great about the the, the safety. I can say so. whatever I want. Right. <laughs> Analytically, maybe I'll look at it and just say, you know what? Those those two safeties are just so good at, at negating any mistakes on that third level. I don't. I think yes. Cook is a sure tackler, and I think that Hicks is a turnover machine. And you maybe you bottle those two together, and you and you turn out just a another unstoppable back end. But I think the loss of Forrest and Wiggins is just, is going to be massive. I think, I think it will be covered up. And I think that the defense as a whole will, will also negate the loss of only two safeties. But I think that'll be something that you really have to take, take a closer look at throughout the entire year. I'm confident they'll be okay at safety. Okay. I like that. I like that. But what, what needs to happen, I guess, offensively, in order to is is it really just James Tunstall needs to come in and be the answer? Yeah, you got like it, I mean, like Dino Boyd was. The Georgia game is the ultimate litmus test of, of exactly what we're talking about. You have to have a yeah. left tackle. You have to have a competent left tackle. If you don't have a competent left tackle, your offense is going to ultimately struggle. There's no way around it. I've seen some whispers of. Uh, Mets either I, I don't know that he's even going to start at right tackle for that matter um, but some people have talked about maybe he's a better fit on the defensive line what are your thoughts on that he's an offensive lineman they they tried him on the defensive line and moved him to offensive line like he started on the defensive line when he got here he, there, he there's is a reason a, for that he is a created player at offensive tackle <laughs> yeah I I mean you just He's huge. I mean, he, we compared him to the mountain from Game of Thrones. <laughs> like he's a it does, large it does seem mental. It seems mental, and you know, mental and just just trying to just figure it out and get on the same page every single play. So, I mean, I think obviously he has all the physical tools. Do I think he's going to start next year? You know, I mean, I think John Williams will be first team in spring at the right side. Tunstall on the left, maybe you know, kick out McConnell. I, I don't know. I think uh, I think a lot of playing around will be going on on the offensive line. But I agree. I think you know what left tackles for was was it Lincoln Bach at left tackle for uh, yeah. 2019? I mean, you're you're looking at an NFL player in, in Lincoln Bach. You're looking at an NFL player in James Hudson. Is there going to be that similar type of uh, 
impact at that extremely important left tackle position for 2021. I think that's going to be probably the main question going into next year. Thousand percent, not even remotely close. <laughs> One million percent. <laughs> and I However guess maybe. Many- Infinity percent. Oh, oh, okay. Winner. But okay. So, <laughs> so, so here's the question then. I, I guess it is weird to think about this because besides that, there really aren't too many question marks. I, I, I mean, I guess depth at running back would be the only other one that I can think of off the top of my head. If, if we're confident at safety, if left tackle is the biggest question mark, number three, I guess, is. Of course, maybe punter obviously will be will be a big one to touch on special teams there. But I mean, depth at running back when when that's you know possibly the third biggest question mark heading into twenty twenty one. I mean, I, I think don't that's know. fair. I, I think you've got a pretty pretty doggone good team waiting to see if they can be the you know waiting for for Coach Luke Fickle to grab the mic after the AAC championship game as they plead their case for college football playoffs saying that this is the best team in Cincinnati football history. Again, I, I think he has well, the ability to do that again. And Tunstall kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, who's to say that you don't fill that with a potential transfer coming in? Same. same, with, same with they're the full. They're full. Yeah, zero, zero slots, zero slots. I, okay. But we did see also, we did see, you know, O'Quinn step up, have a, have a, you know, a big, big step we saw obviously Renfro come in and be that surprise. Like, wow, he's really, really good. John Williams too, in the same sense. So yeah, I, I guess in that sense, Aaron, there's probably like one player or two players that, that kind of will come out of nowhere, really not really out of nowhere, but kind of just come, come out a little bit unexpectedly or a little bit earlier than planned and kind of be that one to, uh, to kind of step up and be, maybe the starting right tackle and you have a big, big influence on the left side and really big focus there. I, I don't know, but yeah, definitely that offensive line will have to be the biggest, biggest answers looking for going into next year. So I don't know. I think 2021 has a chance to unseat both, but uh, we'll see. We will see. It, it won't if they don't have a competent quality left tackle. Yeah. One that won't jump off sides and, and allow sacks by the uh, like that. That's a snap right. if you can't hear it. You can hear it. Okay. A very, very fast chance to get a sack. I, so, yes, left tackle, obviously the biggest question. I think 2021 has a chance. We're going to touch on it all throughout the offseason. But before we leave here, we do have to go to the other sport that is happening currently on campus at the University of Cincinnati, and that is the round ball, the basketball, the, right. the up guys, and downs. You guys have fun. Let me know when you're done. Okay. Okay, Chad. Uh, feel free to uh, <laughs> chime in when you want. But yes. so, guys, it, it happened. On Thursday night, it happened. My, you know, strawberries and, and raspberries and, and sunshine and rainbows burst through with that big victory at SMU. I know Aaron felt it a little bit, that little sense of optimism, that little, you know, Scrooge turned upside down, the Grinch with with a heart type feel for the basketball team. But then after yesterday, I, it, it's simply back. It, it is back to figuring out what this team needs to do to figure out wins. Aaron, 
explain your roller coaster of emotions throughout last week after the win at SMU, and then of course after that little trip to the roundhouse yesterday. I don't want to talk too much about SMU because we did cover a lot of SMU ground um, on the uh, Happy Hour podcast. Fair enough. So we we got to talk about how Davenport did step up to the plate and swung in a big way. (laughs) I heard that. But uh, no, I mean, Wichita, I had a friend text me uh, during the Wichita game or after the Wichita game and said, one thing you can say about this team is they didn't give up. And I had to disagree real quick on that. I think they gave up for eight minutes when they didn't hit a field goal for eight minutes and they didn't hustle on defense for eight minutes. I mean, you saw Micah Adams Woods watch a dunk without stepping in front, Um, you know, because Wichita loved to do that the whole game against us. Uh, This block charge garbage that was going on. Uh, it, it, it got to be a, a bit ridiculous. Um, I hear I hear Chad's a huge fan though of the, of the block charge. So, well, well, we will get Chad's thought on the block charge here in a little bit. But but continue your thoughts, Aaron. I don't know. It was just uh, it was a matter of for me. I, I felt like they did give up. Um, I know that they played hard. I, I can't even argue the fact that they played hard in like the last three minutes. But right. the game was already out of hand. So how much was it that the fact that Cincinnati was playing hard as opposed to Wichita just kind of being like games in hand. Uh, we can kind of coast here. So I don't know. It's becoming extremely frustrating to watch uh, on so many levels because you know that this team has skill, but it's the right. fact that we don't have we, this year is, is almost a wash because we don't have a guy who is ready to step up and be the guy as much as we've, we've talked about it almost ad nauseum at this point. Um, it's just there is no real like leader that this team has had for years, years, and years over the course of nine straight appearances in the NCAA tournament. People are talking about, well, there's still a chance if we can win X, X, X game. Like, no, there is no chance for tournament play this year. Like, I'll be happy to hit 50% at, at this pace. Happy to hit 50%. Happy Winter. to be in the NIT conversation. That is. I mean, it's, it's just it's it's hard to watch this year. So so here's here's the thing. Everyone talks about that eight minutes and twenty seven second drought without a field goal, and it it is something you know. And that is when you need that alpha to kind of step up and have the ability to just get you a bucket. Yes, they did go to the free throw line. They did knock down some free throws, a couple of of good offensive rebounds, and and heading to the free throw line as well throughout that stretch. So it, they did not go scoreless for that whole eight minute twenty seven seconds, but they just simply did not get a field goal. They did not get a good look really at the basket if you look back at it, and that has happened in the past in the rock fights of the past that we have known and and somewhat you know obviously cringed at but somewhat loved because in the end they ended up in wins because the defense was able to step up and kind of just just keep things steady and at bay until you do figure it out during these crazy droughts that's where I kind of look at it during that stretch of that eight minutes and 27 seconds there was a six minute stretch where Wichita State scored on 10 straight possessions I'm not talking, you know, during 10 straight possessions, they did not shoot the ball and have it rebounded by the Bearcats, and they also did not turn the ball over. It got to the point where anytime they went to the hoop, there was either a foul called or they made a bucket. 
Right. Yep. I mean, and then there were open three point shots and a couple of good makes as well by Tyson Etienne, who is a who is going to be a really good player and a a pain in the arse to watch for Bearcat fans. But when you give up 22 points in a six minute stretch, when during that same six minute stretch, you do not record a single field goal make. That's going to be the recipe for a hole that you're you're not going to be able to dig yourself out of, even though they came close to somehow digging themselves out of it, or at least getting close to digging themselves out. But you know, it's it's just something that they the defense needs to be able to step up for the team when the offense does face those those struggles because they do not have an alpha to kind of go and get them a bucket like we've been mentioning, almost like we know what we talk about sometimes here and there. Shocker. But it's the defense, man. It, 10 straight possessions where you are giving up points, where, where points are being scored on 10 straight possessions. I, I mean, that just – it just seems crazy to me that that is given up, but it, it just plays to the fact that this team does not know that identity or the, or, or the role is filled in where they can either come up with a stop or string together a couple of stops or in the process score. Or, or you know, <laughs> somehow knock down, knock down an open three point jumper. I, you know, it's it just is tough, as you mentioned, to watch sometimes. But then you just see glimpses. You do see those glimpses, and I it's just I know, I know how much you love positivity. And one thing that I will say that I took away from this game that was positive because there was right. not is the fact that Chris Vote decided that he actually wanted to play this game. Yep. Yep. Nine minutes. Six rebounds, five on the offensive end. That's, I think that's more rebounds than he had in like the last three or four games combined. You saw him diving on the court for loose balls. You saw him, and, and by the way, can we all just come out and say Morris Udesi? Like, oh man, that it would be tough to be on the court playing against Morris Udesi because man, that guy just throws his body at whatever body is closest to him. I mean, I almost saw him elbow his own player a couple of times. That is just crazy how big that man is and how what he just does not care what his body does. But anyway, like you said, Chris Vogt, big time minutes, purposeful minutes. I agree. And that's the first time we've been able to say that pretty much all season. Right. Right. Seven points as well. So, you know, kind of got back into the scoring stretch and, you know, his, his free throw will never be pretty. But at least he is making those plays in order to get him in situations to score and get him kind of in the flow of things. Because I, I honestly felt bad for him at times, where it just seemed like there was something going on where he was not able to just get get into just the simple flow of a game. And it was like he had a dunk, and all of a sudden he was he was back. It was like he drank the stuff from Michael Jordan's water oh, bottle, the secret and, stuff, and he got he got his swag back. It was it was wild. <laughs> I, you know, speaking of swag, uh, how about Zach Harvey? How we, about we, Zach Harvey? We said on the last pod, we said, is it time for Jeremiah Davenport to start? Almost like we know what we're talking about, man. It, it was. And then before you know it, Jeremiah Davenport is starting. Is it time for Zach Harvey to start? Or I are give, you enjoying this bench role? I give him Micah Adams Woods time right now because, again, you know, I go back to where there was a Tomahawk jam and Micah was there and decided he didn't want anything to do with defense on that particular fast break. He could have at least put a body on him. If you're going to get a foul, that's a good foul. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we've been, we've been getting fouls all game, but if you're going to impede and, and legally impede the fast break, then you do it. 
somehow, some way, he wanted no part of that particular play, and it resulted in the continued onslaught that was the Wichita State Shockers. It, I think that was still part of that whole eight-minute drought. So, uh, no, I, I, I'd certainly give Zach Harvey Micah's minutes right now. Yeah, so, so Micah had a fantastic game at SMU. And you can kind of put that for the four for five from long range that he had. He kind of owned that role of being that knockdown shooter that he was last year at times. And he definitely connected with 14 points. He was able to get in the mix rebounding as well. You know, kind of probably had – he did have his best game of the season, if not for the, for the season opener against Lipscomb. But you follow that up in 30 minutes at Wichita State. You score two points, both coming from the free throw line. You grab two rebounds, dish out two assists, and that's it. That's your entire stat line with with one foul. In 30 I, you know, minutes. Yeah, in 30 minutes. And, you know, we, we understand he's not the most physically talented. He's not going to go up against the trees and, 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 you know, try and slam one home or anything along those lines. But you're going to need a little bit more production out of your starting guards if you want that to happen. I think that this this – Zach Harvey right now is the player that we all were hoping would, would be coming out at this moment of the season. The one that could be the starter as a second scorer next to a Keith Williams, next to a Chris Vogt. Well, Chris Vogt hasn't quite been himself, obviously. Keith Williams hasn't really been himself. So now it's like Zach Harvey is kind of the man. I, you know, Harvey was just on the honor roll for the AAC. He averaged, I, I believe it said, 17, 16 or 17 points last week. He's He made like 73% of his three-point jump shot. I, it, he is playing at a level that you would need in order to win these basketball games, and he's doing it confidently. I think it is time, yes, to give Zach Harvey more minutes, kind of open up, because, I mean, you see, you saw Tari Eason's beginning of the game, looking like an NBA player. Zach Harvey at times shows flashes of just a confident leader of the team. So, yes, it's time for him to start getting those minutes. But, man, Aaron, this this team just simply needs more answers, and they need it now. And Andy's gone. He's gone. He's gone. You know, if you look at it, and I know you guys listening can't see it, but he is intently looking at his phone. So I thought that he was really locked in on some, some information. He was going to spill it and really, really get, get deep in thought with us. But uh, not just, just a dropping of the internet. I, yeah, I assume. I, I hate everything. Cincinnati bell on the phone. I wish, but I was saying, Aaron, this team still needs answers. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about 30 minutes and two points for Micah Adams. I want to bring up Mason Madsen. I mean, he only got nine minutes and I feel like, you know, you talk about somebody who needs to be out there being a little bit physical and being a little bit more uh, involved in what the, both the offense and the defense is doing. And I feel like he's out there game in game out the, 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 the time that he's had here in the last two games here. I know that's a lot to say game in and game out, but <laughs> um, it's, it's, I see sparks of that, you know, right. We've seen Harvey doing everything that he can to try and earn those minutes. Uh, I think he's bought into this system, and I, I think Madsen is as well. Not to say that Micah hasn't, but again, it's just about effort. And I, if we're talking the eye test, because apparently that's the, the new hot phrase <laughs> for everybody to judge everything by these days, Micah doesn't have it right now. You know, and 
at times he does because you look at it. Tyson Etienne was shut down in the first half. Tyson Etienne came in as, as the conference's second leading scorer. He just went on a tear of about 25 points and then 29 points. And Micah did take him out of the game. Micah also kind of slowed down Kendrick Davis. Yes, I know Kendrick Davis still put up a good stat line, but he wasn't, it wasn't like he was completely dominating the game. So I do think that those are two bright spots that Mike Adams Woods really gives you that fantastic defense on the perimeter. But yeah, this is a team that, yes, when you when you bring the defense, you need you need offense as well. It, it just I don't know. A lot of a lot of missing pieces. If you had a, like two guards that can really score and then you you can just sit on the perimeter and knock down those open shots, then yes, I, I think Micah continues to fill that role, but he needs to bring a little bit more. But as you mentioned with Mason, I think the only knock on Mason though, it it seems like white socks sure. with his black shoes, because I that's a knock, personal <laughs> knock that I had. Little little fashion knock that you have, okay? To each their own, I will say. Fashion faux but, pas. But, well, maybe he talk. Uh, do you think now, because th- those are two road games, does he go with black socks and white shoes at home now? God, I hope not. <laughs> but but anyway, so he, he did, he's only played a total of 12 minutes. He has attempted four shots in those 12 minutes. I think that number should be up to seven, maybe eight. I, I think a couple of times. I give him more looks 100%. At Wichita State, he kind of caught. He should have been the one shooting it. Instead, he he kind of hesitates, takes a dribble, picks it up, passes off. All of a sudden, there's like six seconds left on the shot clock, and things are just array. We let a guy come into his own a little bit before we're yes. hoisting oh, no, no. seven shots a game on his shoulders? No, no, not He's a game. I, I meant through the two games. Through the two okay. games. Because I thought there were a couple of looks where – it, like he was open and yes, there were a couple but, looks where he's young and inexperienced and oh and no i agree didn't take advantage oh oh I, I i i love the way that mason madison's looked and i think he's he not only has been kind of that that player that you look to to kind of you know knock down shots or or you know kind of he's just really good at letting the flow of the offense go it seems like he knows where he's going with his passes they're confident and then on defense he knows what position he needs to be in and he seems confident as well and i think that that is the main thing that he needs and then the next step is just when you are open trust that shot because it has looked pretty he's not three or four down that that one three-pointer against smu looks like he's been doing it you know his entire life which he has so i think use that confidence and take those shots fire those up when they're ready so I think I have the most important question from the Bearcats Shockers game. And that is where did poor bear become a name? And, and why is that on the back of his Jersey? He's Indian. It's a, yeah. his tribe name. I had no idea. I, I was, I mean, I meant that in all honesty. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, that's why I answered it in all honesty. It's, it's his, it's his tribe name from his, uh, from his Indian tribe. Okay. He is a first team all name. So um, <laughs> I, I have decided to give him that title. So congratulations, Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler, for the uh, first team all name. There you go. I'll be honest. I'm not looking forward to seeing Wichita State again this season. You know, I, th- I, I am. I, you, know, I, you look at it. This was a game where Cincinnati looked like the better team for a lot of it. I, I mean, you had a you had that Ricky Council playing out of his mind. 
I mean, he he was just overly confident and saw that he could just drive on anyone that he wanted to, rise up whenever he wanted to. So he kind of let his confidence guide him. I mean, you, you took Tyson Etienne out of the game for 30 minutes. Did you know Altari Gilbert played in that game yesterday? Hey, did you know that Altari Gilbert was a McDonald's All-American, Chad? Wow. No, I mean, uh, legitimately from watching that game, do you oh, remember no. anything that he did? Travel had, about had, four times that didn't get called, but no aside point. from that. He had no, no points. He was not a factor in, in any way, shape, or form in that game. Uh, what a what a five year career for former five star Altery Gilbert. You know the thing about Altery Gilbert He's is score like thirty here. Yeah, it's he is like I, mean, I just remember seeing him for UConn, and and it's just it is that player that that comes in with like you know all the newspaper clippings and and all that praise, and then you you look and you see okay like yeah he probably did tear it up in high school because I mean that's just that's high school. And, and he makes the flashy plays that will get you added on some All-American teams in high school. I don't know. I, I just have never really seen it with him. He would have been interesting to see um, how he no would have injuries. been without, without the shoulder injuries. Like, right. I agree. I don't know. I, I mean, guess one of the final takeaways I have of the game, though, in general, is just if you're going to say that this team needs to play 94 feet both ways, I think they also need to play 40 minutes both ways. And I just don't feel like I saw that. Against which I mean, that's that's a problem with young teams. They don't know how to play forty minutes hard yet. That's it's. You had a lead in the second half. I mean, you literally had a lead in the second half, and you shouldn't have. And then they let their. You shouldn't have because of foul trouble. Then they let bad offense affect their defense. They let a bunch of stupid turnovers go for layups. That. You, you can't turn the ball over where they turned the ball over like four times in a row. Um, you put yourself in that position. Like it was almost all self-inflicted. Yeah. Chad, have, have you seen a, a time where an offense, 10 straight possessions comes away with points? Watching teams play Cincinnati. No, I don't remember that happening. I, uh, maybe, I mean, that. That, that, Iowa, my mind. that Iowa tournament game kind of felt like it there in the second half. <laughs> well, so did uh, the game that shall not be mentioned. Yeah, please don't even touch on that. You, you, know, you asked someone, me a question. <laughs> I know, I know. I saw someone throw that on Twitter, and I was like, I was like, you can't be saying that at a time where all of our emotions are highly erratic right now. You like, I saw it, and I immediately cringed, and I started getting real, real triggered, real emotional, very sad. Well, you know, it was a it was a very tough game, obviously, and one where they still only came back and lost by six, 82-76. Aaron, the bright oh, that, side that's, is that's hold on, that's one other crazy thing I want to point out. Yeah, the spread was they, six. No, besides that, they scored twenty four points in the final five minutes. Yeah, Cincinnati did. Yeah. twenty four points in the final five minutes. That, that gets completely swept under the rug because of how bad they played for that yeah, eight-and-a-half-minute right. stretch. But, again, do you, do you think that that's because Wichita had thought they were in coast mode, or is that because we played You know how hard it is to score 24 points in five minutes in an, empty, in an empty gym? Especially this team that doesn't make shots. I'm t- so I'm just saying. 
Yes, it is extremely difficult. And and you know who who was kind of taken over and doing his own there was was Zach Harvey. And then you saw, of course, the ability of Keith Williams to step up when his kind of backs up against the wall. You need that for the entire game. It's not there. It has not been there this entire season, and it has not really been. I don't know. You can just go on and on and on about how frustrating and difficult it has been up to this. But, hey, two straight games, Aaron, where you've got ECU, you've got Tulane, and then you've got Temple. Three straight games. ECU, Tulane, and Temple. Get it straight. Head to Houston on CBS. Hey, who knows what could happen, right? Can't wait for this season to be over. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, Chad, anything anything before we shut this one down? Nothing a bit about charge, charge fouls? Fuck, charge calls. You know, that could be an, an extreme, just complete breakdown of the block charge calls if uh, if you wanted to have a full entire podcast. You, you know, did you see tonight they're doing a broadcast with during the national championship game with officials? It is is a broadcaster. I, is with, it on Nickelodeon? Oh, man. <laughs> would that be beautiful? <laughs> and can we slime the refs when they make a horrible call? Yes, that would be fantastic, and I think that's I think that's the reason why they they invented the slime. Is was, that the evolution be, of this? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I I I did not get to watch any of that. Were you able to watch some of the Nickelodeon was, game? No. Man, the the highlights and the uh, different things of that sort. I know some people are against it, but uh, I don't know. I think I'm uh, I think I'm here for the Nickelodeon broadcast. Time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. But. Football, always evolving. More coaching searches and coaching this and that's coming up in the very near future. So keep your eyes locked into BCJ for that. And of course, basketball, back out on the court. You always know it's a big game when it has that 5 p.m. tip on a Wednesday night on ESPN Plus, Aaron. <laughs> so it, it, is, it is turnaround time. ASAP, need it quickly. ECU Pirates come to town. Then, of course, Tulane this weekend coming to town. Hopefully, two wins. Hopefully, the the taste that is in the mouths of all Bearcat fans slowly gets you know completely evaporated. But hey, you know this is this is what we are dealing with right now. But either way, anything before we close this one out, Aaron? Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Big old sorry dad on this one. Sorry dad and a sorry Dan. We'll throw that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about yeah. this? Did you see where Brett McMurphy ranked you see? For preseason? Yeah. I he's high on us. He's been high on us all year. So I'd I'd imagine it's somewhere between seven and eight. No. Higher? Seventeen. Ooh. Seventeen. Can't wow. start us too high because if we beat Notre Dame and we beat Indiana, then right. where do you go? Athlon had seven. him at seven. Are, did you just say 17? Seven, like one seven. Wow. I mean, I couldn't name no 17. <laughs> Maybe he didn't get the memo about, about Ritter and, and my J. No, it was, and, it was in his first sentence. 
Oh, wow. Cincinnati <laughs> gets Desmond Ritter and Maje Sanders back next year. And I think they're going to be 17th. And they're worse than what they were this year. Congratulations. Oh, does, does he have – oh, don't tell me he's got like a like a BYU or Coastal Carolina ahead of him, does he? Um, 16, Miami. 15, Wisconsin. 14, Notre Dame. Florida, Oregon, Utah. Penn State, North Carolina, Texas, Iowa State, A&M, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Penn so, State, you say? Penn State, I say. Because they were not a dumpster fire this year. Or so, oh, that was good. Blue Bloods are going to be Blue Bloods. What are you going to do? Did I not hear an Indiana in there either? No. Can't rank them too high because, again, if since, uh, that's why Notre Dame's at 14. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't top 25 teams at the end of the season, so when they beat them, it doesn't matter. He actually doesn't have Indiana in his top 25. Shocker. What? Yeah. Okay. I think we need to call this one Nolan Boyd. Probably, <laughs> maybe throw that one out. You know, everyone's got those one really weird rankings that you kind of look at and you're like, eh, maybe just, you know, they need his Wheaties that morning for that one. So let's go ahead and not look at that one. We can look at the other ones, though. Athlon, you said seventh. I'll roll with that one. Give me, give me 10 I'm doses good, of that. I'm good with 10 at 24 7. Yeah. Yeah. 10. As well Chad, as I hope Chad got to put in a ballot for that one. No, no ballot, no ballot here. They, they, they're not interested in my input. <laughs> for some reason, people think I'm a loose cannon. Can't imagine yeah. why anyone would ever think that ever. Right. Probably yeah. because I employ you two lunatics. Life is life is a loon, Ben. You, you know, it, you just got to continuously ride that roller coaster, man. And and you create your own roller coaster. So, hey, however many loops and corkscrews you want, Aaron, go ahead and hop on. What did we learn today? We learned always call Nevada, Nevada. And, and, and always let the number one sources be their number one source. We see it's all about life lessons here. Life, lessons. life, life lessons on the BBP. That's why you call me dad. And 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 the block is a charge, and a charge is a block, and that's about all we've got. That's about all we got. Well, we tr- as we, we tried to bait, we tried to bait him so hard. We did, we did. We we wanted him to go off the deep end. He is he is avoiding, but East Carolina Tulane this week, plenty of football news coming up, uh, assuredly so. So keep locked into BCJ. Plenty of things on the docket, Aaron. I am going to shut this one down unless you have anything else. So happy else. to shut this one down. We'll see you. <laughs> Chad, nothing else? Yet again, this is the Bearcat Bounce podcast here on BearcatJournal.com.